The reading we heard a few minutes ago is the single best summary of the gospel that we have. It tells us something important about God. It tells us something equally important about ourselves. And it tells us something about our communities. Part of what makes this reading so good is that it uses a very important word. And once you get a handle on what this word means and how to use it the right way, you can build an entire theology of discipleship in the Christian life. That reading, of course, is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21, and that very profound, theologically rich word is so. In the season of Lent, we've been thinking about baptism together, what it tells us about God and about ourselves. And in the Lutheran tradition, baptism does two things. The first, which I don't want to spend a ton of time on, is that baptism joins us to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So to use St. Paul's words, it brings us into Christ. So the relationship that Jesus has with the God of Israel, the relationship we call the Holy Spirit, is now your relationship with God, which means that God sees you the way God sees Jesus, loved, forgiven, whole. In other words, baptism gives you a promise from God that you can trust in. That first part of baptism is what we usually think about when we talk about baptism. In our cultural imagination, baptism is a personal thing you do once to make sure you're squared up with God the right way. And if that's true, you just need to hurry up and do it. You talk about getting baptized the way we talk about getting a flu shot. It's quick, it's painless, just get it out of the way and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. But there's a whole second thing that God does in baptism which we tend to forget about. And the second thing which I do want to spend a ton of time on is what happens after that. Because baptism doesn't just change the way we relate to God, it changes the way we relate to other people. And the way it changes the way we relate to other people is called vocation. Vocation is how we live out our baptisms by serving God and our neighbors. So vocation is everything that comes after our baptisms. What emerges when we trust that we're loved, valued, and held by God. If baptism is God for us, Vocation is so that. Which means, which means that baptism is not some kind of magical ritual that floats above your head. It's not some kind of word game we play with the Trinity. It's not an insurance policy in case something bad happens to you. It means it's how your baptism affects the lives of the people around you. So just pause for a second and think about what that means. Who has a vocation? all the baptized people of God. Vocation is not some special thing that clergy have a monopoly on. This is what the priesthood of all believers is about. Clergy are not some kind of special class of holy people. If you think that, talk to a pastor's kid. Is your vocation at your job? Well, it could be, but maybe it's not. It's about the ways you manifest the love of God in the lives of other people, which means you can have multiple vocations at the same time. Mother, teammate, teacher, uncle, co-worker, neighbor, mentor, etc., etc. So your baptism is a one-time thing that happens in the past, but your vocation is something that happens every day in a million different ways. It's God for us, so that. And today's reading from 2 Corinthians is all about the so that. It's all about vocation. Whenever you see so in the readings, your head should always be going to vocation. In the part right before this, Paul writes about how Jesus was crucified and rose again. 
And you can imagine just stopping the reading there as if the resurrection is this kind of historical curiosity, some event that happened in 33 AD. If Easter is just a historical event, when we celebrate Easter in a few weeks, we could say, just so you know, 2,000 years ago, this person named Jesus rose from the dead. And everybody would say, wow, that must have been crazy. Let's go have brunch. No, Paul's trying to say that the resurrection is not some event that happens outside of you. It's something that involves you. Paul begins today's reading by saying, from now on, therefore, which you can also translate as so, we regard no one from a human point of view. So what does it mean to view people from a human point of view? It could be judging other people by their appearances, literally judging them by a human point of view. It could be holding people to some set of standards that we've come up with, but it's likely something deeper than that. It's our tendency to evaluate other people based on our own self-interest, to say this other person's identity is going to be defined by who they are to me. I will judge this situation, this person, this event, based on what I think about it. How many of our debates about refugees are about whether they will be good or bad for our economy? How many of our conversations about church outreach are about the kinds of people we want to attract? How many of our beliefs about what makes a good school are about whether it's good enough for our kids? When we evaluate other people based on our own interests, we can't help but objectify them. Instead of seeing them as whole selves with histories and experiences and hopes, we break them down into assets and liabilities. When we take on a human point of view, we assume that we have all the power. We can choose to be welcoming. We can choose to be gracious. We can choose to be benevolent. We are the ones in control of the situation. And Paul even says that's the way he viewed Jesus. He used to view Jesus from a human point of view. He evaluated who Jesus was based on who Jesus was to him. I'm going to judge who Jesus is based on what he's going to do for me. What changes his perspective is this encounter with the risen Christ. Remember, after Christ is raised from the dead, he's back encountering people. He's risen for a purpose so that other people come to faith. He doesn't just triumph over death and then hang out on his own until the ascension. No, Jesus is on the move. Jesus is encountering people. He encounters the disciples in the upper room. He encounters Mary Magdalene in the garden. And he encounters Paul on the road to Damascus. And that encounter matters because when you encounter the risen Christ, you realize you actually don't have all the power. That you can't just sit back and judge and choose whether you want to engage the world or not. The encounter breaks you out of the illusion that you can engage the world whenever it's convenient for you. So what does all this have to do with baptism and vocation? We've gone too far afield here. Well, if baptism is about when we're joined to the death and resurrection of Christ, then vocation is what emerges when we take on God's resurrection point of view. And seeing other people not as competition to struggle with, or burdens to be carried, or resources to be used up, but as people with their own integrity. People who are loved, cherished, valuable in God's sight before we get a say in the matter. In other words, Jesus is raised so that we can encounter other people the same way that Christ encounters us. How does Paul put it in today's reading? 
God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, so we are ambassadors for Christ. Which means that Jesus' mission, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' vocation is now your mission, your ministry, your vocation. In the same way that Jesus brought healing and wholeness and reconciliation into the world, you can do that too. And not only can you, but you do do that when you live out your baptism. When you live out your baptism, you're not just being nice to people, you're actually participating in the very mission and being of God. So to be baptized is to have those promises made to you in particular, but it's more than that. It's about making those promises public in the lives of your neighbors. To be an ambassador of the mercy and compassion that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. Now once you view vocation that way, the whole thing starts to look pretty daunting. You just wanted to get baptized, and now you're being given Jesus' ministry and Jesus' mission and Jesus' vocation, and this whole thing seems like an awful lot of responsibility. But here's the thing. Who is the one who's reconciling heaven and earth? It's God. Our job is not to build the kingdom of God. Our job is to bring the kingdom of God into perspective and to help other people take on a resurrection point of view. That's what it means to be an ambassador of reconciliation. Is there responsibility in that? Yeah, of course there is. But there's also a lot of grace in that. Because to be given Jesus' mission is to receive a purpose worthy of your life, and to be given Jesus' vocation is to receive a calling worthy of your neighbor's life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Invite the assembly to stand as we join the church around the world, confessing our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed.